Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Everybody, welcome once again. Really my privilege to be able to introduce... Suresh to you this morning. This is what he sent me during the week. Made in Malaysia. He gave his life to Jesus about 30 years ago and served in ministry for about 25 years. Was bivocational as a lecturer as well as a pastor and his passion is to see people in Perth come to know Jesus Christ. He loves the sea letter, loves Christ, he loves his co-life partner, his wife, he loves the church, he loves comprehension, he loves college, he loves culture, he loves country, he loves chats, coffee, cinema, culinary, cuvee, I don't know what that is brother, you'll need to explain that to us. Q-V-E-C-U-V-E-E, whatever, that sounds not Greek. <laughs> chocolates, cake and chocolates, cars, color, change, crazy but also cautious. He loves the church, he loves to celebrate, and he says, what you see is what you get. That's corny, brother. <laughs> he's married, he's Indian, and has no kids. My privilege to introduce Suresh Murthy to you. Let's put our hands together for Suresh. Cuvée, cuvée. Cuvée is the word for fine wine. It's a word used for the first pick. Um, when you um, do champagne, the first pick, the best pick and the champagne is the best champagne, so Kuwait is also a term used for fine wine. And I do like my fine wine from time to time. Not in large doses though, but yeah. Well, that's, that's me basically in a nutshell. And it's always interesting when you come to a church for the first time to speak, when you don't know the people and the people don't know you, and you're always a little bit nervous and you think, oh, what? And so I brought my security blanket with me, my coffee, and, um, and this morning I'm hoping that I would speak into your hearts and that that we will be all encouraged together. And as we leave this place, actually, I'm hoping that more people will come to me after this and, and, and chat with me a little bit about the message. It's Pentecost Sunday this morning, and it's a wonderful day to speak about this message, which is the message to take out the word of Christ into the community. The very reason why the Holy Spirit was given to us. The very reason that God sent the Holy Spirit, and if you look at Luke 24, you would see uh, Jesus explaining the reason, and the reason was so that we would be empowered to carry the gospel into the community, that we would be empowered to be witnesses and testimonies of Jesus Christ in the community. I know the church here is supporting a number of missionaries, and I want to thank you for that. It's, I've been into the mission field, I've seen the work of missionaries, and it's a wonderful work that they do there. And they go out both nationally and internationally, and they go with one focus in their mind, and that is to carry the gospel. But we who stay back here, 
and we attend church. Yes, we are involved in so many ministries, but the fundamental ministry that God has called us to, and that is to carry the gospel out and to speak the gospel, sometimes we evade that ministry. So this morning, I want to just encourage you that actually the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that God has given you and me is powerful enough to carry the gospel into the community, no matter who you are. And it's not dependent on your capacity to speak well or biblically trained or to be able to be an evangelist in its true sense of the word, but just who you are, the person that God has created you so fearfully and wonderfully, and that you have the capacity to carry the gospel. Plus, some of the things I'm about to say today are things that you already know. And uh, as it says in 1 John 2, when John is trying to encourage your church, he's saying that there are many things that we already know and we don't need to be taught any more about these things. And so I'm working on that principle this morning. I'm saying to you, I'm here to affirm your thoughts. I'm also here to tell you that perhaps maybe together we can glean a few new perspectives on what we already know. So where will we start the message like this on Pentecost Sunday? Let's start with Jesus calling us to be light and salt. And the primary thing is that he's saying that we are to be people who are potent in our community. And that wherever we are, we are to shine for him. And the thing about light is that light is not opposite to darkness. Darkness is the absence of light. And so as we go into the community, we shine our light into the darkness of our community. And so as we look this morning, I want to be in the space where I bring you in a journey and we travel together and I want to encourage you that as much as we like to support and we encourage missionaries abroad, abroad let us also be missionaries ourselves in our local, local community. Let's get our hands wet and dirty, that's what I'm saying. I don't know whether you remember the 1990s and uh, the early 2000s, there were so many conferences on trying to encourage the church to go out and speak the gospel. And everyone went in throngs. I saw in Perth, people just going for these conferences, everyone getting excited about it. Everybody wanting to carry the gospel into their workplaces, into their sports arena, into their local community, their neighbours. And many people went into that space, and I met so many of my friends there, people whom I, I know who are Christian brothers and sisters, and encouraged, we were encouraging each other, spurring each other. But then, as those conferences finished, and we walked away, a number of us just went back to doing things as normal. And our spirit to carry the gospel and to speak the gospel waned out, and the excitement just perished after a while. I hope, my hope is that we will do more now, for this is our season, this is our time, and that we will go out into Perth and we will take Perth for the kingdom of God. That's my heart. I hope you share the same heart with me. Can I have the next slide, please? Not long ago, in 2013, Hillsong came up with a song called The Oceans. I'm sure you guys know the song really well. It took the world by storm. The bridge of the song has these words. It says, Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. Let me walk upon the waters wherever you, could, you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander, and my faith will be stronger in the presence of my Saviour. 
the, uh, the call for the song, the, the theme of the song was that God is calling us to deeper waters. He says, it's, it's time for us to stop playing in the shallow end and to get into the deeper end. As Pastor Louis Guglio says, it's time for us to stop playing in the kiddie pool and to go to a space where we can actually not touch the bottom of the pool, not touch the bottom of the waters. And there is where God will meet us at our best because we'll be totally dependent on Him. Our trust, our faith will be in Him. That song is actually quite interesting because it has a whole lot of biblical truth. If you look at the next slide, please, if you look at the, the verses to the song that leads up to the bridge. It says, you call me upon the waters to the great unknown where feet may fail, may fail. And I find you in the mystery in the ocean's deep. My faith will stand. It is a mystery. I don't know whether you realize, but work, working in the kingdom of God is a mystery. If we try to tend to carry the weight of our work, our ministry in our own strength, there's only so much we can achieve. If you go abroad and if you travel abroad and you meet up with some of these missionaries that you're supporting, you would hear stories that are incredible. You would hear stories like the blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk. And you ask yourself, why is that happening there? and not so much here. You may, we may get sporadic stories about it here, but it's rampant there. Because a lot of people who go into these places are going to deep ends and they're hoping to trust God totally for their, for their capacity and their ability to do ministry. And so as they do that, it lifts up the bar. It's no longer where we stand and we do things our own strength, but now we invite the Holy Spirit to take part in ministry and things get captured in a godly fashion rather than in an earthly fashion. The next slide, please. And it says in that song, your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide where feet may fail and fear surrounds me. You, you have never failed and you won't start now. Isn't that our own heart as a Christian? Isn't it about time that we say to ourselves, you know, what would happen if we were just to take that one step into the deeper end with God? It's, it's quite challenging and it's a mysterious place and it has got its fears and its danger and sometimes, you know, it's always safer to play in the kiddie pool. But don't we want to see in this lifetime the things that we see abroad, the lame walk, the blind see, the deaf hear. And I want to say something, gang. If you think that you are not equipped, today as we go through this, you'll find that you are more than well equipped to carry the presence of God into the community. God has given us much more than we know. And the presence of Holy Spirit in our lives carry the power to do things that are incredibly impossible. I say this not so much because it's something that I have learned, but I say this because it's something that I've experienced. The Apostle Paul, when he became a Christian, the moment he was baptized in Acts 9, it says the first thing he did, the very first thing, Acts 9.20, says, at once, at once, 
he began to preach the gospel in the synagogue. Now, you've got to understand something. At that time, Paul did not know that he was going to be called an apostle to the Gentiles. He did not know that he had the power and the gifting of an evangelist. He did not know any of these things. What he did know, though, was now he had changed sides and the temple guards were going to go after him. What he did know that the Christians were being persecuted and they were vulnerable, and so the, the Romans were going to go after him. And he also did know that his own people, the Jewish people, would have thought that he was a traitor, a turncoat, and that they were going to go after him. That all, that's all he knew. He had no idea about the gifting or the calling or whatever else. In fact, all he carried away from Ananias meeting with him was that, hey, you know what? You're going to suffer a lot for Jesus. You're going to suffer a lot for Jesus. And I don't think that would have encouraged him to preach the gospel. But nevertheless, the first thing he did, for whatever reason, was to go out and preach the gospel. Shouldn't that be the first thing for you and for me too? And you see, if you, if you go on and if you think to yourself, you know what? I am not an evangelist, so therefore I will not preach the gospel. Can I encourage you and tell you that I am not an evangelist? I find the struggle of preaching the gospel. I find the strain of speaking to people. And I find that sometimes, you know, I don't succeed and I don't do it really, really well. Or you may say, look, I need to be theologically trained. I can tell you, my theology is nothing compared to Peter's or maybe even Rob who's sitting there and I, I'm, I'm glad he's sitting and listening to, to me speak because many, for many years when I was much younger, I used to adore Rob's messages at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. You don't need to be theologically trained. God has uniquely designed you to be you. And you, he is placed in the place where nobody else can be placed. And you, he's the one who is calling into the gospel and to preach the gospel. Our struggles, our giftings, our education, our health, our biblical knowledge, our wealth, our intelligence have no part really in totality to play towards the power of the Holy Spirit who has equipped us to speak the gospel. There are many times when I've gone and I've begun a conversation with someone and of course, on the prompting and watching the scene and seeing maybe the right time to speak about the gospel. And I started the conversation only to find three things. One, somehow that person's heart begins to be open, which is a mystery really because I'm not getting into that person's heart and opening it. Secondly, somehow I seem to have the right words to say at the right time. But thirdly, and the most importantly, I find the person being convinced to some extent, by my conversation with that person. So, the question is, why do we have to do this? What is, what is it about testifying about Jesus that makes every, in every space and every opportunity that makes it so important? Can I, there are many reasons, but can I just focus on four today, please? Could I have the next slide, please? It says, the importance of a witness. Now, it's so important that we witness and, I'm, and, and travel with me on this, please, and let's see whether we can, we can come to an understanding as to why it is so important to witness. One of the reasons of a witness, if, you, if you're in a court of law, and if there's a case that you're trying to prove, the more witnesses you have that supports the case, the better 
the burden of proof is, the, the easier the burden of proof is, meaning the easier to prove the case. And so, for instance, if you go somewhere and someone says, you know, this is what I saw, I heard, and you don't believe them, then they say, well, let me bring someone else. And this person saw the same thing. And then they bring more people. And the more people that saw and heard something, it becomes more of a witness and the more truth there is to that statement. This is what's happening in the world at the moment. There is a culture in this world that looks back at 2,000 years ago about the life of Jesus Christ and laughs at it. And it actually says that perhaps Jesus never rose from the tomb. And maybe Jesus does not live today. And he does not live in the hearts of people. But then you come along and you say, nah, that's not right. Jesus actually lives in my heart. These are the things he's doing in my life at the moment. Now you're standing alone as a witness, but someone else comes along and says, hey, guess what? He's right. Jesus is alive. What happened 2,000 years ago is true because he's alive in my life. And this is what's happening in my life. And another witness stands up. Another person says, oh, yeah, I agree with these two. Can you imagine? Look at this church at this moment. Look at everyone around you. Can you imagine if everyone stood up and said, that's true? Can you imagine if all the churches in Perth stood up and said, that is true? All the churches in Australia stood up and said, that is true. Jesus is alive today in my heart. All the churches in the world standing up and saying, Jesus is alive today. What happened 2,000 years ago is true. He died and he was resurrected. Can you see how weighty that testimony is? So speaking about Jesus is so important. And speaking about his, his effect in your life and in my life is so important. That's one reason. There is another reason. The other reason is to plant and to sow. This is, my, this is what I find most common in people who give their lives to Christ. It starts off at a one point, a point where someone went to them and said to them something about Jesus Christ. Someone went and said, oh, you know, let's say, let's say someone is in my workplace and I, start, I initiate a conversation for the first time and they say to me, oh, you're a Christian. And I start talking about what Jesus has done in my life. Okay. At that moment, it may not be weighty for them. But they go home, they get on the train, and they're on the way back home, and they're sitting down beside someone who's reading the Bible. They say, oh, you're a Christian too. I say, what do you mean too? Oh, well, well, there's a guy in my workplace who's a Christian. Why are you Christian? And then that person testifies. And then they go off, and they get home, and, and they change their clothes, and they go off to play basketball. And there's a Christian there, and... They said, well, you know, I think you're a Christian, aren't you? And I, I've seen you go to church, and I see you go to Lakeside Church, uh, the place where we play basketball. And he says, yeah, I'm a Christian. And then you speak to that person. What you're doing as this happens is the person's traveling through a journey, a non-Christian who's not met Jesus Christ, is traveling through a journey, and each time they encounter a Christian who's willing to testify into your lives, you're breaking down the barriers that are up, put up in their lives. We are planting and sowing 
into the lives of people around us. You may not see it even in this lifetime, the outcome of it. But your word today in season and someone else's word in season and someone else's word in season changes that person's life. And so we are planting and we are sowing constantly. Can I have the next slide, please? Jesus said this in John 3. He says, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have and seen. But still, you people do not accept our testimony. I'm not going to go today into this term as to who we are that Jesus is referring to. But the fact that he's referring to the word we means he's referring to multiple witnesses. The need for multiple witnesses to affirm that Christ is alive. The need for multiple witnesses to journey with a person, to change their lives, cannot be understated. We are constantly at work. And who are these we, really? I mean, Jesus is talking about the Father in heaven, the Holy Spirit, the angels, the prophets, the sages of the old, the apostles, the early church, every Christian who's alive today. All of us are pointing to one place. The Holy Spirit cannot not point. He's like a compass. He only points to one place, to the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The next reason, the importance of affirmation. If you, if you are a Christian, can I have the next slide, please? If you, have, if you are a Christian, it is important that we speak about Christ, not only for the outer world, but for you and for me. I come to church on a Sunday morning. Someone asked me about my life. I start talking about the things that God is doing in my life. As I keep talking about things that God is doing in my life, I'm affirming that in a person's life. I'm going to them, look, I'm affirming the fact that God is doing something in your life too, as I testify to them. Again, as I speak, I'm encouraging them to speak back to me and tell me what God is doing in their lives. And we are practicing, we're affirming the fact that God is constantly at work in our lives. In speaking about God, we are also breaking down the principalities that in, an, in a realm where there are demons and, and creatures taking over this world, if we do not see that, Paul talks about this in a big way, we are breaking that down because each space we occupy in, we are actually occupying it in the name of Jesus. So we're breaking down those spaces, those barriers. We are speaking to all creation. You know, when, I, when, you, when you turn up as a Christian, in any space, you are speaking to the general space as a Christian. You're no longer speaking as a person of this world, you're speaking as a Christian. And you're speaking to all spaces, and you're taking those spaces for God. Charles Spurgeon said this, not me, Charles Spurgeon said this, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. You see, as we do this, there's a reason, there's another reason to a reason that's more beneficial to us. As we go out and we speak into every spaces about Jesus, there will come a day in our lives. It will come today, maybe come tomorrow, maybe it'll come in 20 years' time. I don't know when it'll come for me. But there will come a day when I will cross over from here into Jesus' space, where I no longer can speak about him. 
There'll be no value because everybody there speaks about him. Everybody there knows who he is. Everybody there, every angel, every creation there knows exactly who he is. And when I step into that space, the question that may be asked of me is, who gave you a right to be in this space? Who gave Suresh a right to cross over into that space? And I would need someone now to step up and to speak for me. And the person best to speak for me would be the darling of heaven, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this in Matthew 10. Can I have the next slide, please? Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. And whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Simple, it can't get more complicated than that. It's just as basic as it comes. We speak into every space as a Christian. We change the dimensions of every space. We carry the gospel out. And then one day, when we need someone to speak on our behalf, we will have him to speak on our behalf. Fourthly, and lastly here, is the importance of kingship. We have a very weird understanding about kingship. In our country, sometimes we put down our leaders and we speak back to them. But the true understanding of a kingship, the true understanding of kingship is that you do not speak back to a king. And the king tells you what needs to be done and you just obey. That's the true understanding of kingship. Unfortunately, if you're dealing with human kings, there are many flaws. And, and of course, sometimes we may question and think, oh, wait, wait, come on, you know, do that. That's wrong. But if you're de dealing with a heavenly king, an awesome, mighty, wonderful, loving, gracious king, then whatever he tells us, we do. And he's invited us to do something remarkable, to extend his kingdom on earth. That is the prayer, isn't it? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That whatever you speak, Lord, in heaven, whatever you wish, whatever is your will in heaven, I will listen to that, I will take that, and I will do it on earth. Because the spoken word of God cannot be denied. And we do it all the more so because of the love that he has given us. All the more so. So, the next slide, please. Paul, if you ask me, why would Paul stand up and suddenly, first thing that he would do is to speak about Jesus Christ. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 16, for Christ's love compels us because we are con convinced that one died for all and all therefore, and so therefore all died. Just check the timing. Here. Therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I'll come back to this in a minute. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. The worldly point of view of Christ doesn't exist. He's not real. The resurrection is not there. He doesn't live in our lives now. We do not do that anymore. Next slide, please. And he continues by saying this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come, and the old has gone, and the new is here. All this from God, who reconciled us to him, himself, to Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
not only that he reconciled us, he's given us the ministry to bring others to him. And God has reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he's committed us to the message of reconciliation. He's told us to go out and to speak about it. We are therefore ambassadors, as though God is making his appeal. To whom? To the world. His appeal to the world. One witness, another witness, and another witness, all standing up and speaking about Christ. Appeal to this world through us. In order to do this, we need to have a renewed mind. Don't you think so? We can't live the way the world thinks and then hope to somehow engage that in our day-to-day -day affairs. We need to shift our thinking. We need to have a renewed mind. And our renewed mind needs to carry two things in place. Can I have the next slide, please? One is that God is very passionate. And the other, God is very powerful. God is very passionate and is very powerful. He's an absolutely powerful God. Powerful in His holiness, powerful in His love, powerful in His grace, powerful in His mercy. This is the God whom we trust. If you talk about a renewed mind, you will be looking, you, the first thing that should jump to your, your thoughts should be Romans 12, where Paul talks about a renewed mind. But we don't realize that building up to Romans 12, Romans 1 to 11, Paul actually talks about the power and the passion of Jesus Christ for the world. That's what he talks about. And then he encourages them to give their lives as a living sacrifice. Can I have the next slide, please? He encourages them to give their lives as a living sacrifice. And as he does this, he's actually trying to tell them, listen, this is what you should do. Now that you know the power of God, there should really be no fear in you. And you know the passion that God has, not just for the world, but for you too. That's what Romans 8 is about. That nothing can separate us from the love of God. You know that now every bit of you should be dead to yourself because you're waiting to hear the will of the Father and act on that will on earth. So your eyes seize God, your ears hear God, your steps are ordained by God, your actions are, and your words are ordained by God. And if you do that, if you recognize that, then you will have a transformed mind. Let me, let me just step aside from this and talk a little bit more out of theology and trying to get this too complicated. Let me put it in a different way. I'm now a citizen of Australia. I'm no longer a citizen of Malaysia. I was once a citizen of Malaysia. Now, being a citizen of Australia, there are certain laws and rules in Australia which I cannot practice in Malaysia. And being a person of Malaysia once, I can't bring that now and practice that in Australia. Let's talk about driving. Here we have rules. You have a, a line in the middle of the road, you stay in that lane. Malaysia. Maybe you will stay in that lane. Here you've got speed limits. I was in a car in Malaysia recently, and the speed limit showed 100 kilometers. It was not 100 miles, it was 100 kilometers. And this guy who was driving the car was a um, grab driver. And I looked at the speedometer and he was traveling at 130. 
And I was thinking to myself, do I tell him to slow down? And I thought, hang on, I don't care, I'm paying him. I'm going to tell him to slow down. And I asked him, hey, what's the hurry? Huh? What? What? What's the hurry? No, I'm not hurrying. Why are you driving 130? It's 100. Ah. Now, let's not laugh too much because there's some things in Australia that, that are not correct and are better practiced in Malaysia. I don't want to go into that at the moment, but there are things. But because we live in a broken world, so there are good and bad in Australia and there are good and bad in Malaysia. But it's different with heaven. There's perfection in heaven and there's no perfection on earth. But as a citizen of heaven, I cannot practice the worldly things. Does that make any sense? And then expect to be accepted in heaven. And in heaven, God's word goes. That's it. God's word goes. Can I have the next slide, please? The next slide. God's word goes. And there is an anointing when God speaks. He spoke and the world came into being. God's word goes in heaven. There's no argument. We can't go and argue with God and say, oh, I'm sorry, but I don't agree with what He speaks it, it happens. You know that, that incantation, abracadabra, it's actually a Jewish incantation. It's avracadabra. I create as I speak. I create as I speak. The Jewish people trusted that and they spoke about that. They spoke about how God does things as he speaks. This is one of their fundamental beliefs and their fundamental thing that they have already ingrained in their mind. God speaks, it happens. Then they went into captivity and they met up with the Chaldeans, with the Babylonians. The Babylonians were not good people. They teased the Jewish people. And whatever the Jewish people thought was valuable to them, they teased them and said, where's your God? Your God is no good. Sing, sing a song to us. Look at Psalm 137. It says, sing a song to us. You know, sing one of your worship songs. Your God is of no strength. They took this term, abracadabra, or avracadabra. I speak, I create. They took it and they changed it to abada. Kadabra. You perish as I speak. You perish, not create, but you perish as I speak. In teasing of the Jewish people. And so what happened is that that became an incantation for all that was evil. Witches and so on. Abracadabra. You perish as I speak. But that's not the origins of it. The origins comes from the anointing of God when he speaks. He speaks and it happens. Next slide, please. Paul says, therefore, I am not ashamed of the gospel because there is power of God in the gospel that brings salvation. And God has given us the same power. He says, I speak, it happens. You speak, it happens. It happens. You speak and it will happen that people's lives will be changed. It's all based on the spoken word of God. Let me put it in another way. When Jesus was tempted by 
by Satan in Matthew 4. Jesus said to Satan, you don't live on bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That's the thing that gives you life and breathes. God says, you stop breathing, you stop breathing. You breathe, you breathe. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It is, in a nutshell, God's power. God's power does not come through some magical thing. He comes through just speaking. You remember that, that centurion that met Jesus, and Jesus wanted to get up and go to his house, and the centurion said, no, 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 no. Just speak it. Speak it. Jesus says, when you're arrested, don't be worried. In Matthew 10, it says, when you're arrested and they're taking you and they're bringing you before their leaders, don't be afraid. The Word of God, which is the Holy Spirit, will transcend into your heart. Don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. It will come into you and you will be able to speak. It's all about speaking. Isaiah 55, my word will go out and will not come back without bearing fruit. What we have is what I call the tied-up elephant syndrome. Have you heard of the tied-up elephant syndrome? Surely not, because that's my own creation. The tied-up elephant syndrome. Even churches that I've been in, they all will tell you what the tied-up elephant syndrome is. I keep telling them this. You get a little elephant, right, when it's little, and it's tied to this peg to the ground. The mahout will come tie up the elephant's one leg to this little peg, just a slight peg to the ground. The elephant will tug at that peg, tug, 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 and after a while, it can't pull out that peg. Then the elephant grows into this giant monster. And you go and you see this elephant, and it's tied to this little peg, and you think, hmm, why can't you pull out that peg? But all you see the elephant do is walk two steps forward, walk two steps backwards. Go, watch, see the elephant in an elephant farm. It walks two steps forward, and then it walks two steps backward. Because in its mind, guess what? I've tried to pull out that peg, but I can't pull out that peg. And I think Christians are the same. They've lived once in this world before knowing Jesus Christ, and they've tried to pull out this peg, and they've not been able to do it. And then they become Christians, and the power of the Holy Spirit rests on them. And they take two steps forward, and they took steps backwards. Two steps forward, and two steps backwards. And they don't trust the power of God. You remember, you know, remember the, the story where Jesus was in a boat, and, and there was a storm, and then he went off, and he fell asleep? Remember the story? And then the disciples come, wake up, wake up, wake up. Aren't you caring that we're going to die? Wake up. And he gets up and he calms the storm by speaking to the storm. Turns to the disciples. He gets really angry with them. Well, disappointed. He says, where's your faith? I used to read that story and I go like, come on, Jesus. That's not fair. If I was in a boat, I would have cried out too. Come on. But then I keep reading the story. And one day when I was reading the story, I realized in the beginning of the story, Jesus said to his disciples, come, let us go to the other side. Can you see what's happening here? He's saying, no matter what happens in between, I've already spoken, we are going to go onto the other side. So why are you afraid of what's happening in between? 
This is why I think the prophet Jonah is one of my favorite prophets. You get Jonah, and he's running away from God, and he ends up in this, this port city. He jumps onto a boat, and then he gets on the boat, and there's this massive storm, and the storm is, is raging. And where you find Jonah? Sleeping. They take him out, they bring him out, and, and they, they say to him, you know, why are you so calm? Relax. Come on, aren't you afraid? Someone here has done something to hurt God. Someone here, has, and they throw cast lots, and the lot falls on Jonah. What's Jonah's response to it? Ah, throw me into the water. The storm, throw me into the water. Evra, Kadabra, I create as I speak. Jonah knew that God told him that you will go to Nineveh. Whatever happens in between, you are going to go to Nineveh. The prophet Jonah knew his God really well. God spoke it. He was going to follow. That's going to happen. So throw me in the water. I won't die. Because God doesn't go back on his word. The only time in the Bible I see God going back on his word is with Hezekiah. And that is out of compassion. God goes to Hezekiah and says, get rid of your, you know, get rid of your stuff, get your office in order, your house in order, because I'm going to take your life. And then as the prophet Isaiah says that, and he walks away, Hezekiah starts crying about it. He starts crying. He says, oh, no, no, no. And God says, oh, if you want to cry about it, I'll give you another 15 years. That's the only time I see God in the Bible turn and go back on his word, which tells me that you can't box God. But the normal process of God's work is simply this. I speak and it happens. So why is it in Matthew 28 when Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, we go like, I can't. I can't. Because it's got, trust me gang, it's got nothing to do with you. It's a lot to do with the Holy Spirit that's rest on you, that God has empowered you to go out and speak. Try it. Try it. It will surprise you. Try it. Stop being the elephant and trust the power of God that's resting in you through the Holy Spirit that was given so that the gospel may go out and it may preach the gospel to this world. Try it. And the anointing has already been given. Go make disciples of all nations. Do it and see what happens. Believe me, your life will never be the same again. And one day in heaven, as Jesus speaks about you, you will see somebody whom you have spoken to, another person you have spoken to, another person you have spoken to, and you will have this joy of the Father because you partook in bringing His will down on earth. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God, for giving me the opportunity to speak to my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord God, that I've encouraged them. I pray, Lord God, that they would be, would be filled, Lord God, with the knowledge that the Holy Spirit, your agent of change, your agent of power, rests upon them. I pray, Lord God, that they will take that commission very seriously. And that they will go out, Lord God, and they will see miracles, signs and wonders, and one day we will all look back as we take Perth together for your kingdom and your glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for this privilege.
in your precious name. Amen.